Welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, as always, Patrick Egan. And as we always do, let's say hello and welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Patrick. Man, it's been one heck of the last couple of weeks running all over the place, talking drone stuff, let me tell you. Uh, hot drone talk. I, I love it. Um, I literally, literally, there's some, you know, hot drone talk. But uh, yeah, um, you know, it would be kind of, uh, we, you know, usually talk a little bit about what's going on in the news. And there is just a boatload of stuff going on in the news. And, and so you pretty much have to be hiding under a rock somewhere uh, to not have any news stories that have caught your attention. So what, what's, what's the biggest one? What, what do we got? What's your, what's your, uh, mucho grande story? I mean, aside, aside from the practical application that we know drones are good at and that they will be essential tools at, I don't know if you saw, there was a couple of, uh, saves this last week of, uh, uh, of uh, search and rescue folks that were going out there and, and finding some folks with dementia and Alzheimer's, you know, the, the, the fires, we've had such a surge in positive press for drones since the hurricanes. I mean, obviously with Huerta making the statement that, you know, drones were a game changer and, you know, all those, the, the, the things that we went through personally while we were there. And then, of course, we have the fires in California and, and everything that's coming from there with the data. And then you have the, the presidential pilot program that rolled out this week. And ah, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, definitely a lot of um, a lot of stuff to cover. And that is, you know, the title of today's show is California Wildfires. And we are going to talk about that with our guest and actually practical applications and data uh, workflow and all the rest of that. But before we get into that, you know, what would an SUS news podcast be without some good old-fashioned, um, I don't want to call it belly aching because I think that kind of cheapens it. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll call it uh, lamenting, you know, about the trials and tribulations of the, the drone community. And, uh, you know, so everybody's, uh, well, not everyone, but a lot of people, there's lots of fanfare with the drone pilot program. And uh, we talked briefly off uh, line, and it's kind of like we're, you're like in Texas and I'm in California, and, and we don't even really need to talk. We could do like the Vulcan mind meld thing from a thousand miles away. Um, Just about. Your, well, and you know what it is? I tell people and they laugh. I say, you know, I've been on the uh, integration this, this drone NAS integration, I call it the wheel of suffering. It's kind of like a Buddhist thing, you know, and you can't get off the wheel of suffering till you get it right. And so we've both been at this for so long now. People are like, oh, God, this is going to be great. It's, oh, my goodness, it's a pilot program, yada, yada, yada. Gene, that's first blush. What are you thinking? Yeah, no. Um, it's been heard before we went through all of this with the flight centers of excellence and everything was going to be so beautiful because we could test here and it was going to be wonderful and we would divide it up between beyond visual line of sight and sentence avoid and payloads and each one of these would do something different and then of course after a few years 
you know, it's discovered that, well, you know, gosh, these, these centers, man, we're not, they're not doing what we expected. So here, here is the 333 exemption. Great. We got to go out and fly because we can't fly on the centers of excellence, flight centers, Lone Star wonderfulness. And then a little while later, we have the Part 107, which is great. We can go out and we can fly in our hometowns now. And we can do it within, you know, the, the legal guidelines. And as a pilot, I loved it. I, I can I can deal with the regulation. I can handle it. So, you know, now we have the centers that are kind of fighting for relevance. And, gosh, when the, the presidential pilot program came out, there's the same sort of talk going on about how, wow, this is going to be great for the commercial industry and uh, there's going to be competitiveness in this. But... They said the same thing about the centers, and it was kind of like, yeah, but no, it's not working out that way. And this program, even, they put a timeline on it. If you look at the timeline, it's uh, you got 57 days to get your thing in, and the FAA gets 180 days to, to look at all the applicants, and they're going to pick five, and then they may pick a few more, and then... 270 to 300 days down the road, you'll be operational, and it's a program for three years after that. So right. this, I mean, are we going to be able to, to say at the end of the day we have something, or is it going to be, you know, how things change so rapidly, Patrick, you know, with the drone industry, and what's going to happen in four years? Well... You know, I, I just, uh, you know, everybody's calling us the Trump thing, but you have to realize that uh, the cabal, as I like to call them, and also witnessed in the Politico article with AUBSI, have been working on this for a long time, even when our last president was uh, still in office. And what yeah. I see with this deal, yeah. I mean, you know, here's here's a country, I don't know, what do we got, 350 million people here now? Give it to yeah, And it probably, I don't mean, I don't know how many, you know, cities there are, you know, tens of thousands and we're talking about, you know, five cities and tribal lands, you know, so what four cities and a tribal land that it's just, it's, it's ludicrous to me. It's insane. I think we could have, uh, if we had someone that had half a brain and I don't even care, the gloves are off. I wrote another article about the Dak and pony show today. This is a private process. You pay to play. You don't like it too bad. That's the way it is. That's the way it's kind of always been, but now uh, people are off-ramping. They're looking for jobs and opportunity. And, uh, you know, remember in the old days, Gene, it was about safety? 10 to the minus 5, yeah. 6, 7, and 10. And we got to do some testing, and we got to do this, and we got to do that. That is all out the window. And so now it's a, it's another one. I'm seeing a, I'm seeing a uh, test center gold rush. Now, the thing is, is there was a timeline on the test center thing. Remember, we were supposed to have the Congress mandated full integration of the NAS by 2015. Came and went. Came and went. Same deal test sites. I mean, I could do a whole dissertation on, on that boondoggle. But, um, you know, there was no money. I don't see any money here. Um, you know, I have a feeling it's going to maybe go hand in hand. Amazon's looking for a new place for a, a, a hub. Um, you know, whatever city is going to get this is going to try and cash in. But at the end of the day, at the end of the end of the kicking of the can down the road for three to five years, I have a feeling what you're going to see 
is that Amazon plan where, you know, the rest of us schlubs could fly below 200 feet and then everything to 200 to 400 feet is high-speed transit for package delivery and yada, yada. And the little guy takes uh, the back seat again. That's what I see coming down the line. What we should have done, and I don't understand why we can't do this, is we should start incrementally out in the country. People that are doing ag are in low uh, populated areas, you know, uh, let them do extended beyond visual line of sight, extended visual line of sight. Maybe they need to get another endorsement. Maybe open up the 137 to them. Um, you know, maybe they have to have an Avban radio or whatever, but now they could go fly their thousand acres of corn in Corn Bluff, Iowa. Um, you know, people that are, let's say, maybe uh, pilots or, you know, something else or get more training can operate in different areas. Or maybe you can do some more testing and so you can operate in some of the controlled airspaces. Uh, I think that there was, let's say, more democratic ways to go about this. And it really, none of this stuff is really that hard. But what it is hard is trying to pound the square peg through the round hole of a certain company's business interest. And that's another show for another time. But that's what I see. I mean, do you agree with any of that, or am I, am I crazy? You know, or or uh, what? No, what do you think? Uh, no, I I think you're 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 right in there. You know, you know, get a little on either side there. But when you look at it from the standpoint that the flight centers were going to test one particular aspect of UAV activity, and the, the presidential pilot program indicates that whoever gets elected is going to test all of the things collectively that were supposed to be done together. Now, if you couldn't get enough participation from the, the industry, if you will, to, to work in one of them and support the centers, what makes you think that a city or a municipality or whoever is, is going to be the applicant in this is going to be able to fund all the testing and all the re- R&D that is going to be required for all of the aspects of it. Yeah, it a, to me, it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense at all. It's just what it really does is it gives me a kind of a Amazon, a Google, a Walmart, you know, yada, yada, uh, kind of, let's say, whiff in the air. But uh, the other thing is, is with the test centers is, you know, you went yourself and you uh, went to talk to somebody at the test center to fly there. And you could you throw us out a ballpark of what it was going to cost you? Uh, it was high six figures just to right. go through a little program that we were going to try to help them build as well. So we were going to contribute. Right. So and then you got to ask yourself, okay, self, why did Facebook go to YPG? You know, the Yuma Proving Ground. Was it, you know, I know, I know that Yuma is, uh, they don't, they're not giving it away over there. And you know, I've worked there. It's beautiful surroundings. Um, if you like killer bees in 120 degrees. Um, but you know, uh, was it secrecy? So they didn't have to share any data with anyone. Uh, remember their, the, their aircraft crashed and, uh, you know, it was all hush hush and secret secret. Um, and didn't come out until, uh, you know, I think we let the cat out of the bag on that one first. But anyway, <laughs> failure. And I don't want to get that. We, we've gone on on this stuff anyway. So I don't want to move on to the show uh, and bring our guest on because we could go another. We could eat up the whole show. We don't want to do that to our guests. So we're going to bring on uh, Greg Kretzinger from Drone Scholars. Greg, you've been around for a while. You worked for a few of the different manufacturers 
Um, so I don't, and I don't want to try and go through your whole bio because it's, you've been around a yeah, while. Okay. Please introduce yourself to the audience, and uh, you know, and you can tell us how you got involved in unmanned aircraft and where you're at now. Yeah. So, um, so my name is Greg Kretzinger. I, I came from the academia, actually. So I was a tenure track professor at uh, in ecology. So I'm a trained ecologist. Uh, and I got excited about drones, uh, mostly for mapping some of my field experiments. Um, and I got so excited, I decided to drop out of academia and join the join the drone industry, which seemed like a good idea at the time. And it's been a bit of a of a roller coaster of a ride, including some a layoffs and some pivots and a lot of venture capital money uh, lost and and. Uh, and so I founded Drone Scholars uh, just uh, uh, about a month and a half ago, um, and that's mostly um, a consultancy to provide uh, uh, training and workshops on multi-spectral mapping, so vegetation mapping. Uh, so that leverages my background and my expertise uh, to help people uh, training to, to map plants. Well, that's cool. So the, you kind of gave us a little uh, overview. I mean, you you, you didn't you work for uh, you worked for Parrot and didn't you work for 3DR? I did. I did. Yeah, I've kind of been through the the hardware side, and in both those companies, I was specializing on uh, the academic community. So part of Drone Scholars is really uh, to be an influencer and bridge the gap between the academic kind of educational space and the commercial side. So that's that'll be a lot of my. Uh, uh, I'll be doing a lot of reviews and podcasts and things like that, just trying to support the educational community to move a little faster when it comes to adopting the technology and, and applying it to their curriculum. And that's a, that's a, another uh, thing that's kind of important. I, I think like the STEAM or STEM education, everybody talks about it, but I think that there's a little bit of a disconnect between uh, the technology and the, uh, let's say, the instruction. And that might be, you know, I think about that in education. It might be that, uh, you know, not everybody's into technology and then trying to read about something or whatever, figure it out, and then impart that onto your students is a little bit of a daunting task. Would you uh, Would you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, I think, I think that academics, I mean, and as a former recovering academic, uh, they're really busy in parentheses, and I think they're busy doing all sorts of stuff when it comes to meetings and curriculum and what. And, and we know well enough that tracking the drone industry can be a full-time job and, and keeping pace with it, you know, uh, is, is really a challenge for these educators. Uh, you know, they have their Phantom 2 Plus and they think that they have a drone program and that's today, you know, and you're like, well, guys, uh, you need to be changing with the market and keeping your students up to pace. And so that's something I hope to, to help facilitate. Yeah, well, even the – I would agree with you. I mean, even myself, the, the teaching that I'm doing at the uh, Academy of Art, and I'm gearing up for a new class, the Business of Drones, the curriculum, uh, I was changing – you know, you know, some people, I go, you know, if I was teaching Greek philosophy, I could write my curriculum, and I could ride that for 25 years, you know. But uh, the drone thing, I mean, I'm, you have to change the curriculum weekly. You know, it's just yeah. like, oh. You know, oh man, this doesn't. Yeah, oh, so you know, um, it's it, it is it's it's a task, and uh, making sure you get all the relevant stuff in there. Very, it's hard, but anyway, um, that's good, and we'll have to check back in on you on that one. Um, 
But I wanted to tell people before we really dive into this, uh, and we're probably going to run a little long today, but that's okay. I suggest they go over to SUSD's website and search for California Wildfires Part 1 because there are some links to uh, map, for Mapbox, and there's some pictures over there, some of the work that you did. And uh, for folks outside of Northern California, it's been a kind of seat of the pants kind of year here. We've, you know, we've gone from dam breaks to, you know, inferno, suburbia. <laughs> it's, it's been a wild ride. We had to break out the canoe and the fire hose. But um, when, is, when this was kind of going, and, and I know you live in Northern California, as this has started to unfold, uh, you know, what were your thoughts on the news coverage of this thing? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my experience with the wildfires were mostly like the smoke in the air in the Bay Area and the fact that schools were canceled because of the smoke and staying at home, you know, with, with my daughter. And uh, my wife was running around. She works for a public agent or a nonprofit, and she was dealing with clients and, and, and folks up in the Sonoma area and getting folks evacuated. And so, you know, for me, it was it was. I think for everyone, it was pretty surreal what was happening uh, in Sonoma and Napa and Mendocino counties with the fires. Right. Well, I mean, you know, we're not, we, we're not like strangers to wildfires. I mean, if you live in California, you know, every year there's wildfires and Cal fire does a pretty nice job of putting them down. Um, I went out there and got the tour. They've got, I mean, they're, they're running a pretty good program, but in this case, it was really more of a, uh, suburban thing, and, and I remember when the fires kicked off, and uh, that that I think it was a Sunday. It was I mean the winds were just whipping, and I guess it got out of control. But anyway, so you saw all of that on the news. You're thinking the same thing the rest of us are. It's like wow, um, what? Uh, how did you get involved with this? Yeah, so so I've consulted a little bit with um, some of the the private or some of the public agencies before, just as a volunteer on some of the high profile. Uh, fires that have happened um, in the Bay Area. Uh, so in, in terms of just processing imagery into maps and two, 3D models. And so I've helped them do that a little bit before. Um, and they called me up to, to come up and help process um, a, a map on the scene uh, for uh, one of the mobile home parks where there had been some fatalities. Uh, so I drove up from, from the East Bay up about an hour or so up to Santa Rosa and, and was just helping on that individual site. It was about 10 acres or so processing uh, and from there, it just kind of took a life of its own um, and spilled over into some of the larger neighborhoods. So the, the uh, local sheriff's department had an emergency COA to fly, and they were, they were doing the flying, and then I was just helping uh, process the imagery. And all of this was in support for the, uh, the county that was coordinating the disaster. Right. So, you, so, I mean, there were people that had actual uh, – and, again, we always kind of um, – talk about responsible droning. Uh, I know some people did go up there and uh, they were kind of rogue and and some people got arrested and whatever else, but this was all sanctioned. You guys had the clearance. You didn't even fly. You were just dealing with the data side of this, right? Yeah. And trying to coordinate kind of the patchwork of missions to make sure that you had enough overlap and that you were collecting, they were collecting the data in the right way. But yeah, it was all sanctioned and and part of, of the emergency uh, management at the time. Excellent, excellent. So you go up there, um, initial thoughts of, of what you're seeing um, and, and the scope of, of what you were trying to do. Yeah, so in, in a lot of ways it was a standard mapping mission, uh, but in, in so many ways uh, it, was, it was just kind of devastating and tragedy to, you know, I'm not a, a professional at this 
kind of stuff and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm a biologist. And so being in disaster zones and being around people that have lost everything and, and fatalities and, you know, that, that kind of stuff, like it, it bothered me a lot, you know, it was pretty disturbing to be in there. Uh, yeah. But, and particularly, it's, it's and, you know, being in these neighborhoods, you're talking thousands of homes that were gone overnight from Sunday to Monday, people rushed out of their neighborhood and their homes were burned to the ground. Thousands. Right, right. Yeah, it's devastating. And then, Gene, I wanted to let you jump in there because you are, uh, I mean, you know, you've been doing this for so long. And that's, I think, another facetious thing that people don't understand when they think they're going to be like, uh, you know, I'm going to be the drone humanitarian guy and I'm going up here or I'm going there or I'm going down to Texas during the hurricanes. And I think people run up there. And, and maybe you can just give us a little bit of what the mindset is when you get there and some of the stuff that uh, Greg was just talking about. You know the loss and the grief and and all the rest. I don't think anybody really talks about that. Would you Would you like to address that, maybe? Yeah, and and Craig, I got to tell you, I really appreciate that you can express that to the degree that you have been able to express that because, you know, everybody wants to go out there and they want to do good, and and it, it's so appreciated and, and it's a great part of humanity. But when you get out there in it, and you have to see what you saw. Uh, and the destruction that that was just so devastating, it if you're not prepared for it, it takes a mental toll on you. I mean, it's just I mean, I, it, it's hard to describe what it takes. And you have to continue on and do your job. You have to be a professional about it. Of course, you know you have to look at your data and you have to do all the parsing that you do. But it weighs on your mind and. It just is very difficult to prepare someone who has never been in that situation to be able to deal with it. And uh, again, thank you for for you know being able to put that into words and let, conveying that to people because it it is it it's uh it's impactful. It it does take a toll on you, and you you kind of get an understanding where people might come up with some PTSD on those things, can't you? Yeah, and I think even for me, you know, I, I being through the, you know, walking through these streets after streets. I mean, these people were woken up in, in the middle of the night and had to run out of their their homes, and, and as the fire was racing in, I mean, I, that could happen to anybody in California. It could happen in, you know, the Oakland Hills fire a couple decades ago. It could happen anywhere, and so I think that really made me realize, like, hey, wow, this isn't just a Santa Rosa thing or a Sonoma thing. This this could be anywhere. Uh, so it's really changed my perspective of how close trees are to my house or, you know, where the fire zones are in the state. So, well, I mean, you know, that's uh, and, and, go ahead, Gene. Well, I was just going to say in the vernacular, that's called your defensible zone. Right. Well, you know, and the other thing here in California, you know, we just came out of a, a severe drought. And there's tons of fuel. Uh, there's lots of dead trees. They've had us on water restrictions. Uh, water's starting to become very expensive. So people aren't watering there. You know, I mean, I, you know, we don't water our backyard. We don't, a lot of people aren't watering like they used to. So there's lots of combustible material, uh, with high winds and, and, uh, low humidity, man. It was just, it, it was an inferno. It was, it was weird. But anyway, um, so, you know, I'm, I'm on the map box leg that's in the story. And yeah. this, I mean, this is. This this side by side stuff, you know, uh, crazy. The the uh, how this I mean, when you look at this imagery, it's just like I mean, this just it must have just been like a wall of fire just sweeping through here. It's crazy. 
Yeah, I think it really raced down from the hills, and and it it blew. You know, a lot of embers and stuff were blowing into into the uh, neighborhood. So in between the hills and and that coffee park neighborhood, there were individual buildings that uh, that did burn down and businesses. Uh, but then when it hit that neighborhood, I think it really just kind of took off and and really just raced through the neighborhood and 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 burned everything out. I mean, it's really a tragedy that happened to all these all these folks. Uh, and it took, you know, it took a significant effort to, to map that neighborhood, uh, particularly because the, we were limited in, in the flights uh, at 100 foot. And so, to, you know, I would have I would have had folks flying at, at 400 feet if we could. Uh, but that was a limitation. There was a lot of helicopters and stuff in the area. And every time a manned aircraft entered the area, they had to land and, and, and wait until the air, airspace was clear. Uh, and so it you know, it just took a lot of missions and a lot of kind of patchworks of, of missions to get street by street that whole data set. Uh, and then we had to process it, which which took a couple of days. And, you know, you're looking at 10,000 photos to make that whole uh, map. And that's just one neighborhood of, of a, a lot that were burned. It's crazy. So, yeah, that uh, that's another thing that I think um, people don't understand also. I mean, I, I just went – I, I – uh, videoed uh, an exercise and there's there's so much to think about i mean you know when you're doing this stuff you got to make sure that you're getting everything you, you don't have any uh let's say missed spots things like that there's there's a lot of pressure and uh you know the other the added hurdle of the hundred feet thing which probably added more time to it um and then the processing power and people are like oh yeah what do you have can you show me what you've got and it's like oh yeah no not yet you know i gotta I got to work through all of this stuff. Let's talk about um, a little bit of, okay, so you're, you know, you're invited up there by, um, you know, law enforcement or county government or whoever. What was it like for you interfacing with those folks? Yeah. So that's where I, I felt like I was a real novice. I mean, I was, you know, I'm a bit naive when it comes to dealing with multiple agencies coordinating at once. I mean, Gene is an expert at this, uh, but, you know, I, I was just used to dealing with one drone team working for one agency. Uh, so trying to get the imagery to the right place in the right format for folks in the way that they needed it to be released at the right time uh, ended up being pretty complicated. And I was just some guy helping. You know, I wasn't part of the uh, leadership team on the ground or anything. Um, yep. and, and so, honestly, by the time we had, had the whole project done, I was pretty happy to turn it over to the county team's. Uh, to just kind of take over with with it all. I mean, I, I I was pretty tired at that point, and it's not my expertise. You know, it's I'm just trying to help out. So I was I was pretty happy to turn it over to the to the rest of the coordination and be done with it and kind of go back to business as usual. Yeah, Jane, were you uh, were were you dealing directly with the incident command? I was, yeah, with uh, with you know one tier down. So they were, you know, incident command was was pretty uh, pretty busy at that point, and so I was coordinating with some uh, Wolf the County GIS team and trying to get it in a format for them. Um, and then and but that you know they didn't really know me. I'm kind of in my home office just trying to help support uh, the effort. And so you know at some point uh, it was time to just kind of turn it over to their teams and their geospatial folks and, and just let it go, you know, and, and say okay we got it done and here's all the data and the data belong to you. And, and they released, they ultimately released it, you know, as that Mapbox link and then later as Esri. And so they were, you know, responsible for, for the public uh, access to those data and, 
and letting folks back into the neighborhoods, they, you know, use those maps to help coordinate that effort. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I mean, go ahead. Uh, how much time did you, uh, and I'll, I'll, I kind of referred to this in Harvey, but how much time did you spend actually trying to educate people what your capabilities were, what you could provide them, and then interfacing with them to get what they needed from you? Uh, yeah, it was a lot of time on the phone, back and forth, coordinating. Um, I mean, it took about three days of processing to, and, and merging data sets to get it together, and there was a lot of confusion there in terms of the format uh, uh, that they wanted the data. Uh, they weren't sure on some of, you know, some of those data, like those panoramics that we collected were really useful, but it's not a data format that they're used to, you know, and so how do you, how do you get it in something that's visible? How do you release it publicly? There's a lot of questions that were raised that I didn't have the answers to because I'm, I'm not a pro, you know, it's not, I'm just some guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, that's, that's part of the stuff that uh, me and Gene talk about all the time is, and it's an efficiency thing. It's like uh, any other, let's say uh, expertise or field of expertise. I mean, you have to learn these things. So that's that's one thing. Some of the stuff that you're you're conveying is is one of the uh, or some of the things that are, you know, if you think you're going to help some folks come in and I, I got my my phantom and I'm going to do all this and really you may be uh, more of a hindrance. But I don't want to go down that road so much. I'm on the Sonoma Maps link, and this is this is the one that really hits home to me. Uh, if people go to that link and if you look at it and there's the before and after line. You know, this yeah, could be like Esri, oh, yeah. Esri has a little slider there that you can look at the before and after, and that also incorporates satellite imagery for uh, the areas we didn't map. So that was really great to show folks, because uh, if you're at the edge of where we drone, ma- you know, the drone uh, mapping occurred, your house is still gone. We just didn't capture it. You know? So we didn't want people <laughs> thinking their house might still be there. Yeah, I, I mean that just, I mean, it looks, you know, it's any any neighborhood, you know. USA, whatever, and then you see the devastation. And then, you know, I do like how you incorporated the Hangar 360. And I got to be honest, you know, you turned me on to that. I went over there and checked it out. And I've been using it, and you are correct. It is a good, uh, let's say, 300-foot view of almost any situation. And I used it on the uh, training exercise that I went to. I thought it was pretty handy uh, just to be able to look around and zoom in and whatever else. And especially the price was right. But uh, yeah, I mean, as a free, so, I mean, there are a lot of panoramic apps out there. The reason I liked Hanger was uh, it's just because you can collect the data and then send it to them to process and get a link. So it's very quick, um, but right. I think it's, it's intuitive and it's easy to teach people how to use the app. It's not mapping. You don't need a 80% overlap. You don't, you know, it's kind of a one or two button push. So I, right. I, as a first response tool, I think it's it's interesting. It is. I, I would agree with that. And uh, and I've been using it just for fun. Um, you know, I will say that you know how long it takes to do one of those. I was up at the uh, the uh, Gold Strike site, Marshall's Mill up here, or Sutter's Mill up here in uh, the Gold Country, and I did the Hangar 360 thing. And I swear to God, before the yeah you know, the, the drones coming down. <laughs> for the landing and there's the ranger right there. so that tells you how fast they were on me and uh, i didn't realize that but they were telling me that it was you can't fly in any state parks i don't know i got to check into that but anyway 
It's great, great tool. But uh, yeah, this side by side, the before and after thing. Um, if, if you don't go check out the story for anything else, you should go and at least just check out this imagery. The devastation is just—it's amazing. And I mean, you know, fire—you know—happens quick. I, I just—I'm uh, looking at this and I'm just—I'm just blown away. You know, I mean, it's just ash and trash. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. It's pretty amazing and terrible, you know, and I think what people need to remember is, like, that was a couple of weeks ago, and we don't hear about the fires on the news as much, but now, I mean, is is the process of of people picking their lives back up is only beginning to start, you know, and and so I think that's where the emotional toll of these fires is, is still here and it's still present and uh, people are still looking for homes. I mean, Santa Rosa lost 5% of their housing stock, uh, and and people need, you know, people are going to leave the area. There's a lot of th- impacts of this disaster. Yeah, well, for sure. And, uh, you know, when it's something like this happens to try and get people in to uh, build, and then, you know, even the building departments are overloaded. I mean, it, it's... It's a, it's just, it, it's going to be a long time to recover that. I will say a lot of people in Northern California, a lot of businesses or whatever, collecting money and chipping in and trying to help mm-hmm. folks uh, get back on their feet, which is good. So uh, let's say this. So do you think um, there are going to be more missions to be flown up there? As I notice, you know, in the news and whatever they're talking about, uh, you know, they're, they're helping people clear debris, whatever else out of there. Um, have you heard of any other, uh, let's say missions that are being planned for the future here? I'm not sure about for public safety purposes. I know that, uh, some of the aerial imagery like sky IMD and some other folks have gone in with manned aircraft and have mapped some of the larger areas for the counties. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what the city of Santa Rosa has planned, uh, or all the insurance companies or, you know, um, I think, you know, for me, it was, it was just being part of the rapid response team to, to help on the processing side, but I'm sure there's lots of uh, other opportunities up there over time, but it's, a, it's you know, this is a slow, it's going to be a slow pace of, of uh, removing the, you know, the, the ash is pretty toxic when it comes to wearing well, yeah. down and all the chemicals and plastics, and it smelled pretty bad in that neighborhood, and uh, I think there's going to be a lot of lawsuits and all sorts of complications to happen well you hit on a couple of different things and that was one thing you know is the uh they are saying that this is gonna this is an environmental situation so now you know we're moving into winter old farmer's almanac says wet november december so that i mean that's why one of the reasons they're really trying to clear that stuff off before it starts raining and all of that ash turns into runoff because as soon as that gets in the watershed yada 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 bad news but yeah um, you can i mean there is a 3d point cloud of those neighbor of at least that particular neighborhood i mean you could take volumetrics of the amount of material and really get a good estimate or you could just start coming in with trucks and you know loading it up <laughs> so, okay, do it. there's what you could do and what's practical yeah, yeah exactly yeah now, the other thing, too, as I've noticed, is, uh, you know, like you did mention the, the lawsuit word, and I don't know if you saw the story I did tweet out about that is, you know, and this goes back to the three types of data that I talk about and the, the best kind of data being the regulatory grade data. So now, you know, it's coming back that PG&E, um, you know, people are pointing fingers at them that they might, there might be some fault or blame or whatever, even though they followed all of the laws. 
and all of the regulations and everything else. And that's that's uh, one of the things I talk about with the drone data when people are like, oh, we're going to do uh, power line inspections and whatever else. So now here is where, you know, the, the rubber hits the road in the sense that if you think you're going to go do that, there is a process and you have to have, it can't be like, oh, well, you know, here are a couple of pictures of the lines and everything's cool, dude. You know, let's go get some tacos or whatever. I mean, that's not how it works. These these people, their lawyers are going to have to use the data that they collected for the surveys that they did to try and indemnify themselves against. Now, I, has anybody heard a total on? I mean, I'm sure it's in the billions, but anybody heard a to- total on the destruction here? I think two billion or so, eighty-seven hundred uh, structures across the the county. Uh, two billion seems low to me. But yeah, yeah, it does. Especially by the time you you know all the cars and 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 all of the yeah. ancillary things and pe- temporary housing and all the rest. I mean, th- this thing is going to go on and on. But you know, some some other uh, things to think about. And and when you're going out there and you're getting this data, and I and uh, that's why we have professionals like you on here, Greg, to kind of talk about you know how you do this and and make sense of it and give people or. Uh, government agencies or whatever uh, information that they can actually use. And I think we're going to kind of wrap it up there. But before we go, I want to do, uh, do, you, do you have a website or something that listeners can go and get more information on what you're doing? Yeah, they can go to dronescholars.com uh, and they can, they can um, sign up for, for news uh, there, particularly of courses and workshops that are going to come out uh, uh, for vegetation mapping for ag or forestry or the scientific mapping. Uh, that's really my specialty. I'm going to leave the uh, the public safety side and the disaster uh, management side to Gene and, and those folks, and I'll volunteer when they need me. But otherwise, uh, I think I'll leave it to the pros. All right. Well, that sounds good. And uh, so, um, you know, I want to thank you for being on today. And, um, you know, and I mean, it's a great story. We look forward to more information on that. I'm assuming there's more parts to this, right? You're working on that? Yeah, I think I think part two is going to come out of the story here uh, pretty soon, um, and and that's really focusing on those 360 panos and and kind of those as a useful tool and, and just some some thoughts and and notes that I took during during the whole process. All right, well that sounds good. We'll have to follow up with you on the drone scholar thing here uh, when this starts getting off the ground. We could talk more about that too offline. So thank you again, sir. Sounds good. And uh, Gene, All right, thank you. A lot, guys. As always, and Gene, I want to, uh, you know, maybe we could do something here soon. I want to talk about the article that that you wrote, the obstacles and solutions to implementing drones in your public safety agency. So I don't know what your schedule's like, but let's let's talk about that soon. And then everyone else, okay. And then everyone else, thank you for listening. And uh, as always, um, you know, we're just trying to give you the the best information possible here at SUS News. Have a good week. Adios, guys.